Welcome, friends. This is White Coats of the Round Table. I'm Mike. Hi, John. What's going on, guys? Well, John, good to see you. Episode two, we uh, we survived the initial episode and didn't kill each other. So that's good. I, I actually found it enjoyable. So, John, episode two, what do you want to talk about tonight? Something that you and I have talked about a lot was professional networking. And so thought that we might just dabble a bit in healthcare professional networking um, because it might be a little bit different. Um, I do have a question for you though that I was thinking about. When you think about networking, what would be your gut response to it before you know really thinking about medical professional networking for your career? What's like? What's the gut feeling that you get about networking? My gut instinct when I hear networking is going to lousy alumni cocktail parties at the college with cheap wine and people that maybe I don't care to see since school. Yes. I, I thought the same exact thing, but adding in business cards, which people don't really use yes, anymore. Of um, and I, well, maybe it's just me. But every time I see networking in television and movies, it's always a bunch of people that are desperate to find a job. And this seems to be their last hope. It's like speed dating um, um, or the the career side of speed dating. It just feels uncomfortable. It feels like you have to force conversations, but everybody's in the same boat. I totally, I totally so agree. I, I, I don't want, I don't want that. And I hope that everybody's seeing this isn't thinking that we're going to tell them how um, they should get embossed uh, business cards um, and they should have a nice, you know, pair of cheap suits, professional wear um, and get ready to drink in cheap vodka or cores or whatever they do there. Cause I've never been to one and I don't really plan to go into a networking event anytime soon. I'm really curious to hear your take on the topic because interestingly enough, I actually am ordering cheap embossed business cards right now. So thanks. Thanks for yeah. making fun of me, but I, I do think this will be a great topic. Most clinicians, I think probably fall into this category where they may look at networking as something that people do when they're dissatisfied with their job or maybe mm. are very desperate for a job. I think in medicine, more so than any other field, networking is limited because you you get a job at your hospital, you get a job at your clinic, you see your coworkers every day, but you don't have a ton of interaction with other healthcare professions. You don't have another a lot of interaction with other clinicians. So I think it is very easy in healthcare to become siloed off and not recognize the value of networking or simply not want to put the effort into networking if you think my job's clinical, I continue to be happy clinically. So why do it? Yeah. I, in pharmacy, at least, uh, we're, we're always talking about in our field about how we are not recognized as providers. Um, we don't have provider status yet and um, how we need to advocate, um, which is something I want to talk about in the future too, advocacy within the healthcare uh, communities, but um, get out there and do work do it well and show your value to um, the healthcare system, to patients, to other providers as well. Um, but we'd still silo ourselves. We, we stick in uh, one career path the whole, our whole life and don't really move outside of that. But we're in a different age right now where networking is going to take hopefully a different definition. It's going to implant a different definition for anybody listening to this and for at least what we've experienced. Um, so when I originally started thinking about networking, I was thinking about sales. Um, people who are in sales like to network because that's how you get to know um, new clients, new regions. Um in our field, new disease states and how to get an end at a different company to sell for them um, and hopefully be wined and dined and taken on, you know, maybe a, just a new offer. Uh, but when I think about for us, I think about collaboration. So now we're talking a lot about collaborative practices and we're getting much better working in, in a uh, medical team um, rather than these siloed physicians being trying to be the best or getting to their, um, their attending positions, uh, and hopefully just being known, but 
we have to include all different practitioners. Um, we talk about referrals. Uh, this is how we get referrals into um, different clinic settings, regions, um, even into completely different industries. There's unsolicited opportunities that come from your new networks. There's career jumps, there's entrepreneurship. Um, even you and I, I mean, we've known each other for a little bit, but this is a result of an entrepreneurial mindset in networking. Um, so I think the real question is, if it can do all those things for us, um, how do we get started? Um, what would you, I mean, what did you do to get started? Or did, was it a conscious decision for you to say, okay, uh, I think I got to start networking. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Did you Google networking and try to figure out what you're supposed to do to network? No, I, or was it I, natural? So it's not natural. I, you'd be shocked because we're doing a podcast together, but I, I think I consider myself more of an introvert or at the max, I'm an ambivert. So you are the extrovert on the podcast. You are the one who likes people if I'm interpreting you correctly. So sure, <laughs> yeah. that's fair, right? So networking is not something that comes naturally. I, I do think that over the past few years, I've recognized the value of networking and I've been more intentional about it, even though it's not something I particularly even enjoy or look forward to. I, I do have to be intentional and make effort to do it. What really got me going in terms of the value of networking was when I started doing pharmaceutical speaking and consulting. So I know there's lots of divided opinion on the role of pharmaceutical sales and the role of industry. Sounds like maybe another topic for another day. We definitely need to be talking about that I for sure. I think that's maybe I, 10 I'm episodes. interject yes. one thing though, because I mentioned this one time recently to somebody in a chair position that industry seemed very interesting and that a lot of my network was going, that they were very involved in industry. And there was an audible and looked at me and sucked the tongue out and turned sideways and winced. So I don't think you're wrong on that at all. So continue on. I want to hear about how sure. you went to the dark side. So I was actually told by a, a colleague that when I started doing pharmaceutical speaking, that I should keep two separate CVs, one for the pharmaceutical world and then another one that doesn't include any speaking because it can be such a, mm. a, a black cloud on your resume. But anyway, so yes. Mm -hmm. So the, the value of industry, I think that's a good topic. We'll put a pin in that one. But when I started speaking, I realized that so often success as a consultant comes from word of mouth. If you have a really good speaker program that you do with a rep in a local area, typically they will tell people about that or they'll have you back. So for example, I have done a lot of consulting work in Tennessee and I have several really great solid contacts down in Tennessee. And that all developed from me going down there simply um, for one rep, having really good work, we both worked well together. We did a lot of uh, stuff that seemed to be, you know, very good for them in terms of their ROI. And as a result, that's expanded into a really, you know, solid relationship with multiple sales reps down in the area. So, you know, this person ahead of time before you got down there. I did, yeah. So I, I had already known one person down there, but then that's expanded into a network of, I think, four or five mm -hmm. sales reps that are all in that region. So my my area of influence or my area of connection continues to grow. And a lot of that is just word of mouth. So even though it's not something I enjoy, it's not something that comes natural to me. I, over the past few years, I've now recognized that if I'm going to do consulting work for industry, networking is really the one of the most important things that I can do. But let me throw this back to you, John, because you already jumped into how do we get started networking? And I've got a question for you. If a clinician, a healthcare professional is listening to this and they work 40 hours a week in a, you know, in a clinical setting and they're very happy with their job, they're not looking to make a career change. They're not looking to be entrepreneurial. What is the value of networking? Do you feel that there's still value for someone who is very content in their current position or is networking really still going to be for someone who is always on the move, always looking for that new challenge? I, I think I would even challenge that question and, and say that people who have a, um, an idea about networking and they just, uh, they're averse to it. I, I think that everybody in the community is already networking. Um, you already have your school faculty, your alumni, you're taking, you're keeping relationships, whether it's professional or not, you have personal relationships and those turn into 
um, opportunities or collaborations more often than just cold calling anyways, because they know you, they know if you were who you were in school. Um, and I mean, think about the people you graduated with, you know, the ones that you would trust just based on what, how their work ethic was in school. Um, and it usually is translated to something, um, better in their career, career later on, but, um, you already have your your current position. You're networking across uh, different divisions within your own company, whether it be marketing, accounting, um, different operations positions. You're doing it, uh, and you have previous employers and colleagues that you've worked with. So that is networking. It doesn't mean that you have to say, "Hey, I'd like to connect at some point. Uh, can we get together and talk about other opportunities or what you're doing?" It's like no, networking is simply that you have a network of people. Uh, so you're already doing that with your your current and previous employers. Uh, maybe you're involved in some sort of organizations outside of work, um, whether it be some sort of a church group, an activity group, or like Boy Scouts of America, or um, I don't know, what are a couple other ones you could be involved in? I think any social anchors, right? Like running. That's what I really meant yeah. to say. It was like fleet feet. Yeah. So you can be a part of like all these different groups that you if you start talking to those folks, you're going to find out that you might collaborate. They might not be in healthcare, but they might be in marketing and you might be able to use that at some point um, in career searches. That's obvious, I think, right? Everybody's going to be doing that at some point, especially now. What is it? Uh, you, every two to three years, most millennials are changing their jobs now. Um, and then you have social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, there's a network there for you, uh, career development opportunities at your current job. You'll be walking, uh, working across dif different disciplines, marketing, like I already said, sales, accounting, but you get into the C-suite too. They have probably been at different employers and they know what your capabilities are. Um, and hopefully everybody listening has had a chance or opportunity or will soon, um, precept. Once you start precepting individuals, um, it's amazing to see how these uh, these students turn into wonderful practitioners. And if you've been a part of that and you've been a decent human being to them, that could be advantageous to you in the future. But it's not all about, I don't want to get ahead of myself and say, every relationship you have is going to benefit you at some point sometime in the future. That's, that's narcissistic. Um, I think it's the, just the outpouring of who you are. If you're going to educate and be passionate about what you do, it's going to rub off on other people and they want that infectious passion as well. And that's networking. So to answer your question is, is it valuable? Yes, because everybody's already doing it, whether they're actively looking for new people or not. So let me try and pull a couple points out of that. Um, I think Let's stick with the clinician that is maybe happy being a clinician, is not looking to leave their job, is very content, and is looking to try and figure out the value of networking. I think a couple things that you pointed out are really interesting. And one of just, you know, school alumni tapping into that network. Just recently, uh, we had a family member that was having some health issues. So you better believe I was tapping into that alumni network. We were uh, texting with people that we knew who worked at the emergency room, we were texting with other people that work in different specialties. So having a network of former classmates, former people that went to the school, I think can help facilitate curbside consults. Mm. In pharmacy, do they use that term or is curbside consult a, a kosher term in pharmacy? Well, I mean, if we're talking about retail versus health systems, health systems, it's just, See, yeah, you're, we're, you're we're going to have some cross-professional slang here. I got to make sure that it's applicable across the board. So anyways, in case. Well, one time I actually, I reached out to somebody and when I was working in the hospital, um, I think I reached out to a neurology at one point about curbsiding somebody, um, one of my patients. And he goes, are you asking for a consult right now? <laughs> I was like, I'm not allowed to ask for a consult from curbside. Like, if, what do you mean? Curbside? If you say it, it's okay. <sighs> yes. Perfect. Well, for, for yeah. listeners who may not be familiar, I don't want to ever assume, um, especially with slang, you know, that, that we may assume everyone knows and someone may be lost. So curbside consult is the, the medical slang for, you know, talking to a colleague informally about a patient. And anyone that works in medicine, I, I'm sure does this at a, you know, quite frequent level. I think that's the beauty of medicine is when you have a good network, you can tap into that because really medicine's a team sport, regardless of your, your professional title, 
regardless of your role, no one practices in a vacuum. Everybody practices collaboratively. So being able to tap into that and say, yeah, you know what? I know someone in endocrinology, let me send them a text. Or I know someone that works at that ER, let me see if I can uh, help facilitate um, a quicker evaluation or, or whatever's going on. I think that can be immensely helpful. And that doesn't happen without intentionality towards networking. If you're working in your family medicine clinic or your retail pharmacy, and you're making no effort to connect with maybe school alumni or former classmates, you just may be missing out on valuable resources that may even help you on a day-to-day -day within your clinical practice. So I think that's an important thing that just in, in what you were talking about can be very valuable with regards to networking, even for people who may not be looking for that next position or that next endeavor. So I think alumni networks, that's a great thing. We talked about that within the setting of clinical. I want to expand a little bit more because you talked a little bit about non-medical networking, church groups, other communities, running groups. And I think that's a really valuable source of networking that may be missed by a lot of professionals simply because they may not identify this as an opportunity to professionally network if the people they're talking to are not medical. So expand on that a little bit. Tell me how I can benefit from professional networking within my church or within my running group? Ask people what they do, what they're passionate about. Because not always um, a 40-hour-a-week job for an individual, it's not always going to be what they're passionate about. They might have a side hustle or even just something that a hobby that they're doing on the side, making no money um, that could be beneficial to you or them. You know, maybe they're trying to break into something too and they never even thought they could monetize um, their hobby or even do that as a 40 hour a week. So, I mean, for me, um, I was very active um, in volunteer work. And uh, I met, for instance, an individual who was heading up a marketing group. And when I decided to um, begin a healthcare consulting firm, I needed somebody for marketing for logos. And this guy was on the top of his game. And he worked some stuff out for me or offered to work out some stuff for me. Um, different pricing, you know, different level of red carpet. You're not going to always get that with newly formed uh, individuals. That's something that you had to work on. I worked with them volunteering. So uh, I was, I guess, side by side with them all, the whole time. So eventually when we both needed something, it was advantageous for both of us. Um, so get to know people, just talk to them. Um, yeah, yeah, I might be extroverted. It might be easy for me, but you just need to ask people, what do you do for a living or what are you passionate about? You learn, the more you learn, you're going to hear people's voice, you know, go up an octave when they're explaining something or they might drone because they may hate what they do. You just need to take social cues and, and, and maybe you just need to go on Google and look up how to read people in social situations, but it could be very obvious. Yeah, that's great. I do you have experience? I do. With Let that me give or, you an example. So recently, so we are very involved in our church, and recently there was an opportunity that we identified. We had first aid kits by all the entrances, you know, your standard stuff, but we did not have Narcan. We did not have anything for you know opiate overdose. So our church is in a suburban location. It's not something that we've ever encountered, but. You know, we set a record last year for the number of opiate um, overdoses and fatalities. Mm. So this is a growing problem that unfortunately with the COVID pandemic um, has been exacerbated or accelerated. So through that networking, a, a group of people within the church that were working on, you know, supplies and things like that, we were able to connect and then get them free Narcan kits. So now the church has Narcan available for use. The church security team has been trained to identify opiate overdose and then properly administer Narcan. Um, so it was a nice opportunity where I was able to connect within the church. I was able to help out because of my medical background and because of access to a county program for um, distribution of Narcan. And that wouldn't have been available to the church if I hadn't been networking. If I had just gone in, sat in the pew, walked out. Um, I would have missed out on that opportunity. And in my hope is that we never have to use the Narcan, but down the road, you know, you never know. And if an opportunity came where, you know, someone had an emergency in the church, whether it be 
uh, an accidental overdose because of mix up of prescriptions or something else, you know, heroin, we're not prepared. We have people on site. Anytime there's um, church members in the building, there's someone on site that knows how to use the Narcan. So I think that's a, you weren't intentionally doing it though. That was an intentional networking. No, this happened serendipitously. It's a great example of how networking can, you know, kind of sneak up on you even when you're not trying. So it was certainly not something where Mm -hmm. I was going to church every day with a stack of business cards saying, I'm going to make connections. I'm going to make connections. And yet we were able to to really do this awesome thing and identify a need within the church that because of our skill set in healthcare, we were able to address. I think that when you start thinking about networking critically, you open your eyes and you see all the opportunities. It, like when you go looking for a car, you go sh- car shopping and you're like, wow, I really like that Cobalt, you know? And you start driving around and you see everybody driving the same car. Oh, um, it's like an observation bias type situation. Is there, anyone, is there now, anyone out there that walked to the dealership with this strong desire to buy a Cobalt? Is that a thing? I'm hoping that the one person listening to this was like, see, honey, I told you there's... This guy likes cobalts too. I don't know much about cars. So my knowledge stops there. Yes. Correct. Try your hardest. Um, like once you start opening your eyes, you see, I mean, the obvious situation would be if you lost your job and you had this network at your church and you've been working for these people, working with these people, it's going to be a lot easier when when the headlights are on, your eyes are open, you're looking around, where do I have opportunities? They show up. So even after this podcast, if you start thinking about all the relationships you naturally have had outside of the professional life, you're going to see opportunities come up because you're starting to look, your eyes are open. Uh, You've already been doing it. You just don't know how to act on it. So hopefully that's what we're here to help you do. So John, talk to me about social media. You have it listed as a a source for networking. And I have a very complicated relationship with social media because I love it. I I think it's a great way to connect with people. I think it's a great way to keep in touch with people that I haven't seen in years. I do do a lot of professional networking on social media, but at the same time, as you know, social media can also be a bit of a cesspool, both personally and professionally. I think there's a lot of groups that I'm a part of where it, uh, the value of the group seems to be maybe overshadowed by the complaining about career dissatisfaction or whatever else going on. So mm-hmm. I'd love to get your thoughts on professional networking through social media. I think the greatest form of social media would be LinkedIn, possibly. I mean, there's, it's professional social media and people do share some personal things on LinkedIn, which, which to me sometimes is odd to hear very personal stories that have no point on it. But for the most part, the personal stories that I do see are usually linked to um, sincere uh, evidence-based research. And it's to educate others of uh, something they haven't heard about yet. I mean, that's very generalized on what I'm saying. uh, But I think the point is to be very professional because your future employers will, will look you up it's, it, I do it all the time. Now is it's easy to look up somebody. It's so available to see how you represent yourself because if I'm going to hire you, I'm going to see how you carry yourself. So that's what not to do. What to do is maintain professional, professional image, maybe even keep a private profile. Um, only open yourself up to people who are close friends and family um, and maybe a close coworker. Don't let everybody see everything that's going on in your life. Because uh, everybody, we need to maintain that distance. But when we get into LinkedIn, talk about networking. My goodness, I had no idea until I you know, dove headfirst into LinkedIn. That's the point of LinkedIn. There are a few other professional networking sites that we can talk about too. I didn't know much about them. Uh, I'll talk about them in just a little bit. But if you get the premium trial of LinkedIn, and I think it's free for a month. We have no sponsors, by the way. That's not LinkedIn is not a sponsor of ours. LinkedIn, if you want to sponsor us, send us an email. Please do. Or at least just pay for my premium membership, please. You get uh, many benefits. You get personalized job insights, like where you are a top applicant based on what your resume looks like. You select your skills and that might match you to certain positions out there. It's going to show you who viewed your profile. Because if you have a basic membership, you have no idea 
who's looking at your stuff. It just says executive at company A. So I go, where, when, why, who was this? Uh, Premium opens it up to see a lot more. Um, So if you look at my file, you may not even know that I can see your stuff, but I can probably see when you looked at me um, and who you are, who you work for and how our skills might match up or what jobs might be at your um, current company that match my resume. There's common interview questions on there. There's, there's learn something new. They teach you things on there, uh, on the site. There's email. You might not be connected to somebody that you really want to be connected to. What email is, it allows you to just kind of cold call them through an email. And I've had answers through those as well. It's just an amazing platform to network and everybody's used to it. People who are involved on LinkedIn kind of expect messages from folks outside. So maybe you have other ideas where social media could be helpful because in marketing, it will be. But the most important piece is to make sure that your LinkedIn profile is up-to-date, professional, and accurately reflects who you are and what you've done. Yeah, I agree. I, I like LinkedIn because I think it does make sense to have your professional social media be a separate entity from your personal. I am probably half my Facebook feed is professional groups that I'm in, and it's a wonderful mm-hmm. source of community. It's an incredible opportunity to to network, meet other people. Um, last October, I went to a conference and we had a meetup with a couple dozen people that were part of the psychiatric PA group. And they all got together mm-hmm. and you know got to meet each other in person. And I think that's a really awesome opportunity. It's great that if I post something on the Facebook Psych PA group, someone from Washington or Oregon can comment on it and give their insight. But you do have to be careful because your Facebook profile may also have all of your personal stuff and the privacy settings are confusing. And you do want to make sure that it's not having too much mingling between your personal and professional. I've precepted many students and I've had multiple occasions where a quick Google search found their Facebook profile and also the rant about how terrible their preceptor was or how awful their day at their rotation was. So you do have to be very careful to make sure that you are remaining professional. And I think having that mix of personal and professional social media can make it a little bit fraught or dangerous. I would echo what you said about LinkedIn. I'm a recent addition to LinkedIn. I was not on it until just a couple months ago. I was doing some consulting, educational consulting for a um, CME company. And they said that on their website, they were going to put my link or the link to my LinkedIn profile in my bio. And it's like, oh, well, you know, the LinkedIn profile that's eight years old and doesn't even have a photo on it. So I've been brushing it up. I've been cleaning it up. And just in the past few months, as I've been more intentional about using LinkedIn, I, I share everything that you said. It's what a resource what an incredible opportunity to connect, to, con- to network. What I've experienced, though, now that I'm more active on LinkedIn, is I think LinkedIn is a great example of how clinicians that are maybe content where they're at don't view it as a priority because you can tell people that are on there but not really on there because they don't update their profile, they don't even have a photo. And a lot of times, at least in my network, those are people that have been at the same jobs for many years. They're not necessarily looking to move. So they're not investing. Yeah, somebody will have 30 or 40 connections. Right, they're not investing time. Mm-hmm. Once I see that, I don't, I don't even email them. I don't, I don't email them. I don't try to message or connect because they're just not available. Right. Those people are not investing time into, I mean, essentially LinkedIn is an online CV for you. Mm-hmm. So I really, I think LinkedIn is an untapped um, resource. And a lot of people in medicine are just not realizing how valuable it can be. It has the opportunity to request recommendations. So recently a, a drug rep that worked with me sent me a message asking me to recommend her. And I had to fill out a brief form, took about five minutes. But on her profile, she had recommendations from you know dozens of different people. What an opportunity with LinkedIn that you can basically have letters of recommendation at the ready mm-hmm. and you just collect them as you go. If you make a connection, if you do, if you work on a project with someone and it's a really good experience, then you can request that they recommend you and then you have it in the chart or in your uh, in your profile ready to go down the road if you ever needed it. So I think LinkedIn really is a, a valuable one. And if listeners are not on it, they should at least poke around and check it out. I'm going to add something to that too. Uh, if you're looking for jobs, LinkedIn is probably one of the best sites 
to go find a position because it will show you who you're connected to firsthand, who your secondhand, thirdhand plus is. So you might see somebody or a position, say it's with pharmaceutical company A, and you don't know anybody at this company. It's a smaller company, but it shows you who you might be connected to on there. And it's got a picture of a, a face. It's got the person's name. And then I have like a two next to it, meaning that that's one person away from you. You're not directly connected, but somebody that you are connected with is connected with them. So what you could do is go in, see who this person is, look at their profile and see who the connection between you is. So you might actually know this other connection. You reach out to them, email, not, maybe not even LinkedIn, maybe you have their cell phone, text them. Hey, do you know this person? It says that you're connected to them with your company. Uh, do you think you can get me in contact with them? I can't tell you how many times that has worked for me where I've gotten, it's technically cold calling somebody, but through somebody who's already trusted. So they're going to already trust you as well. And if they don't trust you, uh, your first contact is probably not going to rec recommend you. I've had, you know, I've never had that happen, but I know of people who they'll say, no, sorry. Um, we've worked together before. It's been a long time. I'm not going to recommend you. Uh, nothing against you. I just, I haven't worked with you in the past 10 years. Uh, so don't be surprised if that happens, but it is a tool. So maybe don't ask for recommendations from people you haven't seen in 10 years. Or that you know doesn't don't trust you. You know <laughs> the people you've worked with, you're just like, ah, I don't know. If that voice inside you is saying, maybe don't, just don't do it. There's other avenues. And we'll talk about those other avenues. But last thing I want to say about LinkedIn, and this is a caveat, it's sort of dangerous living on the edge. You have the opportunity to put on your, your photo and your profile open to work. Open to work means I'm actively looking for a position or I'm passively looking for a position. Or, you know, if you want to throw me some side work, I can, I can probably help you out. Recruiters are able to see that. Now you can choose. Do I want to re only recruiters to see this or is this open to everybody to see? And the more private one is only for recruiters. And LinkedIn will tell you, we can't guarantee recruiters from your work will not see this. Uh, we'll do everything we can. But I mean, your company may have accounts out there to look to see who might be looking for jobs in their company. So you might have to be, I don't want to say sneaky, but you just got to be careful about it. It's just like keeping your personal and professional life separate. Know the risks of putting yourself out there if you already, if you still have a position. Um, but like Mike and I, we have different avenues um, that we, uh, we work in. We consult. So for us to have open to work on our profiles, our, our supervisors, our companies, they, they don't necessarily care because they know our intentions and what we're actually doing. So be very careful. Um, take this advice with a, with a grain of salt and be careful out there on LinkedIn. Uh, one other social media thing I, want, I do want to bring up though is Reddit. <laughs> now, some people listening are going to say, are you joking me? Reddit, it's, it's for kids. It's pictures and videos and the stuff that you don't want to see, but you kind of want to see with one eye open with through your hands. I have found amazing uh, moderators on different sites. So you could be a pr practitioner. There's one for PAs, there's pharmacists, nurses, hospital staff, any community you could think of. And these moderators will require you to show paperwork that you are certified in a disease state or registered at a, in a state working in whatever faculty they're asking you to. So these moderators will demand verification before they let you post and they get put your credentials after your name. You can actually actually answer patient questions on there. Uh, you can discuss disease state breakthroughs or these odd only found in New England Journal of Medicine results or anything out there. You, you can discuss it. So it's an avenue to meet other folks as well. And I know they have meetups just like the little Facebook group as well there, Mike. Oh, thanks. I'm a millennial. So, you know, I, I stick with Facebook. Yeah. I am reaching the age. I'm not old. You're not old, but I'm reaching the age where none of my students, when I precept students, they don't have Facebook. No, it's definitely a, a sign of, of maybe a, a generation that is already starting to get to the point where we're not considered young anymore. And that makes me sad. I had Facebook when you were still required to have a, a college mm -hmm. address yep. for it. Yep. So, mm -hmm. so John, talk to me about specific networking sites for healthcare professionals. Okay. So there's a few out there. These sites do, they do say that they've got hundreds of thousands of people in there, 800,000 folks, right? 
I had never even heard of these sites. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to see what else was out there. There are a very many uh, social media sites out there, or at least networking sites out there. Uh, there is a, I'll put a link in the show notes for this uh, website called Up City Social Media List. They list everything for nurses, physicians, uh, surgeons, PAs, uh, pharmacists, uh, and then some of them are conglomerate of, of all of them. So there's global, uh, there is USA based, um, there's other countries uh, that you can select that it's only going to be Europe. Uh, it's only going to be South America. Uh, so the first one, I'm only going to talk about two. One's called Sermo. Now they're free. Both of these are actually going to be free. Uh, I'm going to read the, the quote from Sermo. Talk with your peers, earn for your insights, solve challenging patient cases, contribute to the world's largest database of drug ratings, and even laugh at some great jokes. So somebody who wrote that might have been a little bit younger. It's very interesting, this sermo. So you can actually get paid consulting fees or consulting fees on sermo, just one-offs, you know, paid 50 bucks for your advice on this or that. It's wild, right? But you can also meet folks in the same concentration or specialty that you're currently in, and you might be in the same region. Uh, that is a great way. I mean, especially if you're a physician who's going to have more of a global, especially if you're specialized, right? You're going to have more of a global or at least national understanding of who these key opinion leaders or subject uh, matter experts are in your field. That's going to be a great place for, for folks like that. Uh, but then there's doximity. Now, this is probably the largest and you're going to see why. I'm going to quote, Largest community of healthcare professionals in the country with over 80% of U.S. doctors and 50% of all NPs and physician assistants as verified members. So that is, I mean, 80% of physicians, they must be talking about this in med school. I did not go to med school. Probably should curbside one of the uh, physicians I know and ask them if they're on doximity. But I joined both of these places, you know, just to see what's going on there. And you have to get verified. You have to give your credentials. Uh, you will be verified uh, or you won't get into the site. So I don't have any experience with these. I don't know. Have you, have you heard of these? Did, were these ever brought up to you in school? These were the, the, I looked on multiple locations, different job boards. Uh, many people were talking about these too. I am not familiar with Sermo. We definitely did not discuss these in school, mm -hmm. but then again, they probably didn't exist in school hey, 15 old. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I am on Dox Doximity. I do not really utilize it as a networking or social network or social media type of tool. Doximity actually has a wonderful platform for telemedicine. Mm. So very often I'll use my Doximity app on my phone. It allows me to connect with a patient for a video chat. I can also text patients and use what's called a dialer um, where it will reroute my number so the patient doesn't have my personal cell phone if I'm making phone calls to them. So in addition to the networking potential, Doximity is a really wonderful app to have downloaded just for various tools. It has a fax function. It has the ability to do no reply texting. So you can text a patient, you know, a custom text or, hey, thanks for coming. You can text up-to-date education to the patient. Um, but then they can't reply. They don't have your own personal self. So I am on Doximity. I can you know, strongly endorse Doximity just from the functional perspective. It is a tool that I use nearly every day in my clinical practice. So last thing I want to talk about, and I think we're running out of time since I don't want to overstay our welcome with our listeners. Talk to me a little bit about the value of professional membership, because it is something that when I'm interviewing candidates within my clinic, if I see someone that is a member of professional associations, I will value that person higher than someone that is not a member anywhere. And the reason for that is I see them as invested in their profession. I see them as someone who is committed to continuing to grow, um, not just you know graduating from school and then punching the clock. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I think that I do want to ask you about your experience with this, what you were told about in school and what the reality of... of what these organizations were for you outside of school. Um, they are vastly different uh, from what I've experienced, at least. The value here is that you've got these folks in your field. I'm just going to speak from a pharmacist's point of view. 
the people who are involved in the Pharmacy Society of New York, PISNI, or ACCP or um, ASHP, those folks who are actively involved are at the top of their game. Uh, they are well known in the area. Uh, they've sometimes sat on board seats or chair seats or just volunteered. These are the ones that will help you network more than anybody. You start going to these meetings, go to the annual meeting, uh, you go to the uh, mid-year events, you even just get involved with the local chapter and start emailing around, see how you can help with this or that. Menial tasks that might take you a day to do, but they've got 50 tasks and offloading one, you're looking pretty high on their list of somebody who is willing to help for a volunteer type position. Uh, it's not only about networking with the folks that you want to be involved with potentially as, uh, as a colleague or employer in the future, but it's growing your professional uh, organization or just uh, being a pharmacist. How do I prog uh, progress the, the degree of pharmacy? Um, there's a lot that we can do actively in the political realm that most of these organizations do drive. Uh, I think about how we had Albany Day in New York, where we would go down to Albany. Uh, one of our law professors is now the president uh, of PISNI, and he would take us down and we would see the debates and we would see what they were bringing forward um, on the docket. And uh, it was it was eye-opening. I had no idea that they were that involved. I had no idea how much fighting was done between orga professional organizations and uh, not just in, in between professional organizations, but the political members, uh, industries. Uh, there's, it's not just as simple as, hey, we're, we're going to make patients' lives better, so let us. It's, it's not. There's money involved and there's a long history. Uh, so, if we want our professions to survive, being a part of these groups are probably one of the best ways that's going to happen. Uh, I, I do want to ask you before I respond, though, what was your opinion or experience with professional organizations before school or rather in school and after graduation? I think in school, my program did a pretty good job of encouraging professional membership. They, they strongly encouraged us to be members of the AAPA, which is the national PA organization, and then also for state and local organizations as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, what happened, my, my experience is actually probably one that a lot of listeners and medical professionals can relate to. I was a member of these organizations while I was in school because I took advantage of the student discount. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the organizations had really great resources for you know, writing cover letters, how to build your CV, different things that were very helpful when I was first starting in my career. But then my student membership expired mm -hmm. and I looked at the renewal, which was several hundred dollars. And I felt that there was very little value. I was, you know, young and still starry eyed at how much money I was making compared to my friends that were, you know, still working as Starbucks baristas. So I felt like, why should I pay several hundred dollars to an organization when I'm completely content with what I'm currently doing? I don't need advocacy. I don't need career support. I'm happy. And down the road, as I got older and you know matured or maybe had more awareness of how medicine worked outside of my little realm of clinical work, mm. I appreciated the value of organizational membership again. I had some issues come up, you know, with clinical work where there was a misunderstanding of a, a New York statute and I was able to get clarification through the New York state PA association. Mm -hmm. And that made me realize that having those people available, even if you don't see the value of that membership on a day-to-day -day basis, it's almost like an insurance policy where when you need them, they're going to be there for you and your continual support year in and year out is what allows them to have that expertise. So keep in mind, I am so just biased from a disclosure standpoint. I'm the chair of industry relations for the New York State Physician Assistants or Society of Physician Assistants. So I am I get to see the inner workings, but I'm also very passionate about people being involved in state membership and you know, all national and local organizations as well, because I get to see how much advocacy occurs, how much work occurs behind the scene. Most of the people that are involved, especially at local or state level, 
are volunteers. These are people that are very passionate about their profession. They're passionate about patient care and healthcare outcomes. And they really do dedicate just a ton of time to make sure that our professions continue to be viable, that our professions continue to be meaningful, but also to make sure that if we can be part of the solution, healthcare is obviously quite broken in the U.S. And these organizations very often can have a seat at the table to try and find solutions to those problems. So I really just cannot state strongly enough how important organizational membership is as a form of networking, as a form of career or um, degree and not degree, but career advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just so much value that can come from it. I'm a part of four, a member of four different organizations, and each one has certifications that they offer uh, along with it. Uh, You might have to pay some extra money for it, but you can get continuing educations or CMEs, uh, as well as nationally recognized certifications and things like diabetes. Uh, You can get PBM certified, MTM, medication therapy management, uh, there's so many certifications that you can get just at the uh, fingertips of an organization. So it's not just benefits of networking. And maybe, Mike, maybe from when we, as we were talking, maybe I'm focusing much more on how you can get forward in your career by using networking. But networking, especially post COVID, when we're trying to learn how to uh, live in community again these organizations or even just networking alone uh, connects us again as humans. I think a lot of people are still wanting more of that connection, want to find people who actually agree or have similar ideas of what the world can be like. Uh, We filtered out people in our life that maybe we thought they were very important to us, but we found out that we could live without them and we're doing just fine now. Uh, but you now lack that sense of community. Organizations and networking allow you to find people like you and find the passion. I, I, Mike, I don't think that given the situation the past couple of years, you and I would have met to do these types of conversations, have these types of conversations. Or do we want to do a podcast? Do we want to do some more platform work? Do we want to expand this or that? We connected based on the outpouring of finding more community and having very similar interests. And most of the time you don't find that without networking in some, some way or another. It doesn't have to even be professional, but this turned out to be, it was actually a personal network that turned into a professional gig. So if I can leave anybody uh, with an action point, it'd be just to open your eyes and see the possibilities of the folks that you've been interacting with day in and day out, find out what their passions are, whether or not that means money for you now or relations later, it might just mean that you even just find, this is going to sound really corny. I'm sorry, but you might even just find a good new friend. So it's not all about the profession. It's a, this podcast is about per- personal development as well in the medical community. A lot of us are burned out. We might just need more of a personal life rather than a professional life. So that could be what you get out of this. Um, I don't know if you have any last words, but I will digress or I'm going to keep talking. I think that's a pretty good place to stop. I, I agree. I think a takeaway from this is that networking is important regardless of your setting from a professional perspective, regardless of your role. There's always value that can come from networking. So even if you feel like you're content in your job, you don't really think you're going to be moving to a different position, still prioritize networking it can really benefit you in many ways, even if you don't know what those ways may be when you put the effort in. So even if it's hard, even if it's something that takes intentionality, try to do it. I think it, there's really only upside that can come from it. So John, I, I want to leave it there. Mm-hmm. And just for listeners, uh, if you want more information on professional networking, you can go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com WRCT. And on there, we're going to be posting show notes that will have all the resources we talked about and more. This is a great opportunity for listeners who want to dive a little bit deeper or get more information from a topic that we discussed. They can check that out at Patreon. Also offer opportunities to support the show so that we can continue to do this moving forward. 
Before we go, though, John, I, I want to wrap up episodes with maybe some light items. I think it's important that as we're talking about healthcare related things and supporting listeners in their careers and professions, that we also don't lose the other aspect of it in, you know, pursuing interest, passion, hobby activities mm. that are not medical. Okay. So do you have a light item to share with the listeners to wrap up with? I bought an iPad for my consulting business. I used to draw when I was younger when I was in high school, early college. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll try my hand at this. And I bought an Apple Pencil and I got this app called Procreate. Procreate is also an app that allows you to draw and do lettering. Uh, so I've been, I never had a hobby that I can just listen to a podcast or listen to music and just do mindlessly. I never understood how people could do that. But one day I was sitting there and I was listening to a podcast and I was drawing and I look up and it had been three hours. I'm loving it, man. It's great. I'm digging it. I mean, I've, I've sent you some stuff and I'll probably send you some more stuff. It might not be good, but I'm having fun. Yes, I can I can attest to John's passion for drawing. He's been blowing up my email with doodles. I'm sorry, man. They're very good though. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying them. Keep them coming. I just like your face. So I'm gonna keep drawing it in different ways. <laughs> well, now it's weird. <laughs> what about you though? I mean, doing anything? So- yeah, I think you'll appreciate this one. So John, for listeners, John is a cocktail aficionado. So I learn a lot about how to make good cocktails from John. So John, I'll admit, I made my first margarita from scratch the other day. Okay. Tell me about it. I need to know the ingredients though. And it is, it is sad. And it's so sad that it took me mm -hmm. until today years old to make my first margarita from scratch. When you say scratch, did you open up a bottle that had said margarita mix or margaritaville mix on there? No, that, that was the old mic. Okay. Let's talk about the new mic. That, that mic is, that mic is now gone. We have so, a couple minutes. I, I, I'm not going to belabor it, but I need to know the ingredients and how you did it. Let's go. So this is why I'm blown away, but also so frustrated. It took me this many years to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So all I put in it was lime, Mm -hmm. triple sec mm -hmm. tequila simple sugar that's it so you used you used actual simple like uh, uh crystallized sugar no i have a simple syrup so yep simple syrup but four ingredients took me about 10 seconds to make mm -hmm. and incredible it, it's 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 hard to go out and have a margarita or a good cocktail somewhere uh, mm -hmm. without feeling disappointed now so I, I'm also going to have a hard time paying $10 for a margarita out mm -hmm. when I know that it's four ingredients. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing yet again, another great cocktail recipe and introducing me to the, the world of craft cocktails. Well, um, you will just make me some more when I come over then. I think that's a good deal. Perfect. All right. All right. We'll end it there. So thank you everyone for listening to episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, you can check us out on patreon.com slash WRCT. Additionally, if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, like us, subscribe us, leave us a review. Otherwise, this is John and Mike, and thank you for listening to White Coats of the Roundtable. Table.